0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to North Church. Glad you're here. And uh, I agree with Ryan, by the way. I don't believe it either. Uh, I hope you enjoyed summer. Uh, it was yesterday, and uh, now we're on to normal again. So I uh, hope you got out there. Clearly, I did. I have a halo more than I normally do. It's just redder than it normally is. Uh, so we're glad uh, to do that. So thank you for being here. Glad that you're here. Uh, let me just save this. Man, last week was amazing. The stories that people shared last week, um, just the cardboard testimonies and how they shared from very vulnerable, and and their stories and their tombs that God released them from was awesome. Um, and God, let me just tell you over and over and over again, every day, multiple times sometimes each day, uh, we were receiving messages of how those stories inspired and encouraged and changed and, and caused people to want to see and do things differently. Uh, God is on the move, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. Amen. It was it was awesome, and it is awesome, and we are here, and we're still going. Uh, so we're just glad to do this. Uh, so when I was in college, uh, I had the opportunity to sing with the University Chorale. And one of the things that we got to do is we got to travel... To Europe. We got to go to England, Ireland, and Scotland. I got to take a tour in the British Isles. And one of the things that we got to do is we got to stay at one of the castles over there called Hampton Court Castle. I have a picture of it. There it is. This is the actual castle that I stayed in. And they actually kind of retrofitted the castle a little bit for us to stay, because it was like a hundred person choir it was a huge huge corral and so we all got to stay uh, at this castle well one of the reasons i love this castle the castle itself was awesome by the way side note this is way i'm already off my notes and we haven't even started but two minutes okay so really cool the people that own this castle they purchased the wardrobe from the movie first night with sean connery an older movie but it was all about the medieval period they purchased the entire all the armor and all the stuff to decorate the whole castle like there was armor throughout this whole castle. It was amazing. But that was not my favorite part. One of my favorite parts of this castle was the grounds outside the castle. There was this hedge maze. You guys know what the hedge maze is, right? Where they, where they cut the hedges. I have a picture of this. This is not the actual hedge maze, but it looked a lot like this. Okay, what was cool about the hedge maze though around this castle was in the middle, unlike this hedge maze, in the middle was this big stone tower that came up in the middle of it. And so if you were able to get your way through the first part of the hedge maze and get into the middle, you could climb up the top to the top of this two-story tower, and you could – it had a flat top with turrets around it, and you could look out over the side of all the different areas of the maze. And what was cool was you could see how to get out of the maze from that top-level view on top of that tower. In other words, the view from on top of the tower looking at the hedge maze was completely different and it was impossible to see from the ground level. The tower showed you a perspective, a view that you could not get when you're down in the maze. The tower allowed you to see and navigate what you needed to do. Now, there's a reason I bring that up, but I'll get to it in a minute. Today, we're continuing our series, the little cards that you have on there, called Modnik. It is very simply kingdom spelled backwards. Why do we say Modnik instead of kingdom? Well, because God's kingdom is completely different, completely backwards, completely upside down from any other kingdom that has ever been or will ever be established. God's kingdom is different than something that we build God's kingdom is run differently than how we would run our own lives or run our own kingdoms. And so we're talking about Modnik. We're working backwards through the, through the word. And so we've talked about the letter K. The letter K stands for king on a cross. The letter I was last week. We have to remember and realize that God, in God's kingdom, every person, every single person is invited by God to be a part of his kingdom. That's why Jesus died and rose from the grave. That's what we talked about last week on Easter, that we have all been invited. But now we are on the letter N. And let me tell you, man, the letter N is good. I don't know if you'll be as excited about me when you hear what N stands for. The letter N in Modnik stands for not about me. Oh, yeah. Aren't you glad that you got up this morning? In God's kingdom, whether we like it or not, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about us, it's about God. And so we're going to talk about that today, and the truth is, this is a tough message. This is a hard one, because there's a lot of reasons it's going to be tough, But one of the reasons it's tough is because we tend to view our life through the lens of three ground-level things. These three ground-level things is what happens to me, what happens for me, and what happens because of me. We view our life that way, don't we? What happens to me, what happens for me, and what happens because of me, because of my influence. That's our view, typically. We see what is happening around us on a ground-level perspective, but today, today's message is tough because I want us to force ourselves out of the ground-level perspective, and I want to go up, and I want to look at our life, and I want to look at this world, and I want to look at this topic today from God's perspective, from God's view. Seeing the entire maze, the entire big picture. I think we realize all the time in our life that there's something more to this life than just our life, right? We get that, don't we? There's something much bigger than just what we know and what we see. And so today's message is tough. And uh, let me tell you that a lot of today's message. This was not originally going to be the case, but it comes from a lady named Tiana Spencer. She was actually a gal that we invited to do our women's retreat a few years ago. Some of the ladies in the room, as soon as I said her name, they're like, oh yeah. In other words, they're shaking their head like, get ready. (laughs) Because Tiana Spencer is one of those that she brings it. And she spoke on this topic of how the kingdom is not about us. And when I listened to that, I knew that that's what needed to be delivered today. And so a lot of this message, in fact, you're going to hear me quote her two times very directly, specific direct words of Tiana Spencer today that are just mind-blowingly powerful. But before we get there, let me just jump right into Scripture. So you guys know I like to set up the context. Today, I'm going to give you no context. I'm just going to start reading. How fun is that? So we're going to be in John chapter 11. I'm going to start with verse 1. This is kind of a long story. We're going to read portions of it. All right, here we go. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So, I'm going to stop there. We are going to read more of this story, but I want to stop there because there's a lot going on. It's interesting, but the writer of this story, this is the book of John, so it was written by the apostle, the disciple John. So, if you think about who John is, John is perhaps the disciple that was closest to Jesus, I can't prove that, I can't say that for sure, but we know that he was one of three disciples that for sure was closest to Jesus because he was kind of the inner circle of the original twelve, right? There was the twelve, but then there was the three that he kind of like poured into a little bit more. John was one of them. John spent a lot of time with Jesus, a lot of time. And so John writes this story. He was there. John was there when this happened. He was with Jesus, so he knows. But he writes this story and forces you and forces me, when we read this, to view this story from Jesus' perspective. He doesn't talk about the human perspective, the ground level view in this story. He forces us to look at this story from up above from the perspective of Jesus now we're going to see why that's really hard today because looking at this topic reminds us that this kingdom is not about us it's not about you and it's not about me it's always about God and one of the things that we like to do is we like to make things about us I don't know about you but like, for example, when I get a little sniffle, you know, when I get a little, like when I start feeling kind of rotten, I kind of tend to sometimes like to make it about me. Oh, I'm just going to sit here and just, I'm just going to be here. Yes, I would love an orange juice. Absolutely. Can we get some, some feathers or something and, and fan because I'm feeling a little feverish. Some grapes maybe and you can feed them to me right? We we sometimes like to make this life about us. We like to center things around us. We like when people focus on us. And one of the things that I find that I have a hard time, I'm just speaking personally, that I have a hard time not making about me is when I am dealing with pain or suffering in my life. I have a hard time not making it about me when it comes to pain and suffering. Maybe some of you are in the same boat with me. When I'm in pain, when I have felt loss in my life, it is hard for me not to just focus on that and make it about me. And so today, this story, I'll be honest, it's really about pain and suffering and loss. That's what it's about. But John focuses the story from Jesus' view, God's view, so that we can't make this pain and suffering about us. So let's talk about the story. So Lazarus, there's this guy named Lazarus. He's a very good, very close friend of Jesus, as is Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters. They're very close with Jesus. They hung out. They played euchre on the weekends, Okay, maybe they didn't play euchre. But we know from Scripture, this is, not, this is not a stretch. I am not stretching Scripture here. It is known, well known, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very, very close to Jesus. They didn't play euchre maybe, but they did hang out together a lot. This is, it was their house that Jesus stayed at when he was in the area around Jerusalem. They, he stayed at their house. He had a place for Jesus in their house. They are close. So Lazarus gets sick, and Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus. Jesus is a long ways away from their area, and so they send a message to Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus is very sick. Now, the the Scripture just says sick. What we know is he wasn't just sick. He was on his deathbed. He was really sick. But they send message, and Jesus, mysteriously, decides to stay where he was for two more days. He doesn't come running. He stays for two more days. And in the meantime, what happens? In the meantime, what happens? Jesus dies. I mean, Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to die. And let me just read for you what happens. So here's what happens. Jesus knows that he waited two days. And then he says to his disciples, okay, now let's go to Judea. And that was the last thing I read, right? He says, let's go back to Judea. Now, when he says that, here is some context that we need. The disciples say, Jesus, I don't know if you remember, but we were just there a few days ago, remember? And there was a whole bunch of people and they tried to kill you. They tried to, they tried to stone you. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. And then this is what he responds with. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Then Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. I don't know about you, but John forces us to view this from Jesus' view. But here's what I want to do. I want to take us actually down to the ground level view because we're all thinking about it. I know we are because we're human. And what are we thinking about? Here's what we're thinking about. We're thinking, wow, this is really hard. Jesus knows everything he knows Lazarus is dying and he stays where he is for two more days and in the meantime Lazarus dies and so understand that Mary and Martha sent this message to Jesus and said Jesus we want you to we need you to come here Lazarus is is sick he's dying we need you here and he decides to stay two more days let's be honest church for a minute if we think about this from the ground level, like the human perspective, in the hedge maze view, Jesus at best is insensitive. At worst, Jesus is pure evil in this story. Right? From a human level perspective. He's he's insensitive at best, if not pure evil. So the truth is, Sometimes we feel like God is delayed, don't we? That God's timing is off, that it's wrong. And the question is, why did Jesus wait? Why did he stay where he was for two more days? It would actually be four days before he got back to the town of Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha were was going to be another it was going to be four days he waited two days and then it took a while to get there and so it was four days later why did jesus wait well actually jesus explains why he waits when he says to the disciples remember what he said he said for your sakes i'm glad i wasn't there and then he says this what does he say so that you will do what you will believe this might be hard to hear today I told you this is a tough message. This might be hard to hear today. But the truth is that God knows that pain and suffering and loss are a part of this life. Jesus knows that. But Jesus also knows that there is no way around pain. There's no way around pain. There's no way around suffering in this life because of sin. There's no way around it. But here I am to say that there is good news because God knows that the thing that we need to realize is that we need to believe in him because we need to depend on God. God knows that we have to depend on him. We have to need him. Now, how many of us in here don't don't like that, right? I don't know about you, I'm just being honest, and I'm not saying this to be like a humble pastor in front of you today. I don't like depending on anybody. I don't. I hate it. How many of you just love asking for help? It's your favorite thing to do. Me neither. I will look like an idiot. I will struggle. I will fumble through things because I'm like, I don't want to ask for help. Let's be honest, it's, it's a pride sickness thing. But I don't like to ask for help. I don't want to depend on anybody. And let's be honest, that includes God. If I don't want to depend on humans, for sure I don't want to depend on God. And God says, But you have to depend on me. You have to. Have you noticed that we can't control anything in this life? Have you tried this year? I have. And I've tried to control some things. The last two years, I've tried to control a lot of things. And you know what I've realized? I'm really bad at it. I have no control over it. And God is reminding me again and again and again, you don't control anything. Depend on me. I love what Tiana Spencer says about this. One of the best quotes I've ever read. She says this, it's going to be in front of you. She says, The delay of God creates a need for God. And a need for God creates a dependence on God. And a dependence on God is the only true relationship with God. Let that sink in for a minute. That's powerful, that's necessary. How many of you love it when I say you need God? My guess is some of you don't. You hate it. There's a little bit of me. There's just a, there's there's a part of my heart somewhere in my soul. It's I don't know where it is. I can't find it, but it's in there that says I don't need anybody. I'm pretty good. Do you have a part of you that says that? I do. And God says, No, 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 that's wrong. You need me. And pain and suffering reminds us how much we need Him. So I want to get real for just a minute. Because this dependence thing is a problem. Yes, I know dependence can be unhealthy, it's kind of a bad word. Right, But when it comes to God, it's absolutely necessary. So uh, you guys know the story. uh, I've told it many times. When Laura and I moved here, when we moved to Dane County, we moved here to plant a church. We got scripture rolling all over the place. That was awesome. God's word everywhere. When we moved here, we moved here to start Northridge Church, and we had to get a job but it took me six months to get a job. And I've told you that story, so I'm not going to go into that. But what I have not, I don't think, have said publicly anyway. I've told a few people this from time to time when I've told the story, but I haven't said this publicly. Uh, There were nights, it was not most nights, it was not all nights, and it definitely wasn't even most nights, but there were a few nights in that six-month period when Jackson was three years old, Hannah was about one year old and um and laura and the kids they would go to bed and then i would stay up late doing applications for jobs a lot of times and i'd be sitting there at the computer filling out applications hating it i don't know about you but how many of you love filling applications isn't it fun man it's so great and this was like the 40th one <laughs> you know that i've done And and there were nights that I'd be sitting there and I'd be filling out an application or I was just exhausted from trying to find a job and I would just be sitting in my chair doing nothing. I was not at the computer doing nothing and I would just be praying, saying, God, we moved here for you. What are you doing? I can't find a job. Nobody will even let me in the door. I, it's not like I'm not filling out applications. I'm doing all the. I'm doing what I can. You're you're not holding up your end of the bargain, and I would be literally crying out to God, not loudly because I'd wake up my family, but I would be saying out loud, God, what? Show me the job. Show me where it is. Tell me what application to fill out because I'm online and there's like hundreds of possibilities. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And sometimes I'd be literally crying. And I was. I was angry. I was frustrated, more than anything. And it's interesting because Tiana Spencer and her husband, they actually had a similar experience. God called them to move from one community to a different community in the midst of their life. This was years and years ago. And she said they knew that the community they had to move to, that God was calling them to move to, was really expensive, and so they did not have the money, and so they decided they were going to save for at least six months with an extra job that her husband had to save all this money and put it away so that they could financially survive in this new community. And as soon as they made that commitment, as soon as they told all their friends and let everybody know, the church and everything, we're going to be moving to this new community, as soon as they did that, you know what happened? Her husband lost his job. As soon as they agreed to follow God, he lost his job in that moment. Next, next day or two, whatever it was. And so for Tiana, she shares this. She says, for me, I, it was obvious. The move is off. <laughs> it's a no. But Tiana said, her husband said, nope, we're going to live by faith. We're going anyway. And she said, but we can't afford it. I know, but we're going anyway. God told us to. And so they moved, and Tiana shares this. She says, in that season when they did not have the money to survive and live in that area, she said she would be crying out to God, asking God to end that season for them, to give them a job, to take care of them, to to change what was going on. She was asking God to do this day after day after day. And then Tiana says, finally God, I think, she didn't say this, but I think, this is kind of how I took it, God kind of got fed up with her. And this is what God said to Tiana. This is a direct quote from what Tiana heard from God. God said to Tiana, You are actually praying to be delivered from trusting me. Tiana, you don't, do you realize what you're praying? You're praying that you no longer have to trust me, so you want me to give you all the things that you know you can do so that, never, so that you don't have to depend on me anymore. You're asking to be delivered from trusting and depending on me, God says. Believe it or not, depending on God is the only way it works the only way it works it's a beautiful thing but let's be honest it's a hard thing it's simple depend on god it's just hard to do if i were going to be honest two years ago i knew this up here but i don't think i had fully wrestled with it and understood it in here these last two years god has been very clear that there is no thing that i can control and i have to lean on him i have to depend on him The good thing is there's always a bigger picture. We have to view it from that top-level perspective. In fact, let's go back to the story. Let's look at the second part of the story because the first part of the story looks insensitive, doesn't it? The second part of the story, let me just tell you, if you thought the first part of the story was insensitive, you're going to think the second part is, uh, well, it's worse. You're going to think Jesus was awesome in the first part. Second part is going to get worse it's going to get harder. Let me read it. So Jesus gets to this town called Bethany where they live. And Mary finds Jesus, Mary and Martha, and there's this huge crowd of people because, again, they've just lost their brother tragically. And so there's a whole bunch of people that are gathered around to support them, to help them. They're doing what they should be doing if they believe in God. They're supporting Mary and Martha in their time of desperation, in their time of loss and grief and need. And so Mary finds Jesus. I want to read what happens, the interaction there. Starting with verse 32, same chapter. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked, they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Let's be honest again. From a ground level perspective, this scene, this story is heart-wrenching, it's We have somebody who is as close to Jesus as we know in Mary and Martha, people who he stayed at their house multiple times. They are close, close in relationship. And now she has fallen at his feet and is begging him and saying, Jesus, why didn't you come when we called? It's heart-wrenching. Understand Mary and Martha from the ground level perspective. Again, take ourselves out of the top view and look at the human perspective. And this is once again just gut-wrenching because think about Mary and Martha. What's the question that they have in their heart and their mind? Think about it. What's their question? Their question, among many questions maybe, one of their questions is What was so important that Jesus was doing somewhere, wherever he was, that he couldn't come here and take care of Lazarus? Right? Isn't that a question that they would have on their heart? Jesus, what were you doing that was so important that you couldn't be here with us? What was so important? Now, it's interesting I don't know if you noticed it. Did you notice the two main emotions that Jesus had in that moment? When Mary fell at his feet and was crying and was weeping and everybody else was around them moaning and they were wailing and they were, in, they were grieving. Did you notice the two emotions that Jesus had? Deep anger and deeply Troubled. Now, here's what's interesting. Some of you might actually see this, because some of you have your own Bibles open. Some of you might be seeing this. In the King James Version, it says that Jesus groaned. It's a wrong translation. The NIV says Jesus was deeply moved. Wrong translation. They missed it. In this case, the New Living Translation provides us the most accurate emotion from the original greek the original greek word means intensely frustrated or angered jesus was deeply angry in that moment and the question i have for you is this what was he angry about who is he angry at was he angry at martha or mary Was he angry at Lazarus? No. Was he angry at the crowd of people that were moaning and wailing and didn't seem to have any faith in him in that moment? No. You know what Jesus was angry at in that moment? He was angry at Satan, and he was angry at sin. Because it was Satan and it was sin that caused this And the reason he was angry was because someone he cared about deeply was hurting, was in pain. And Jesus hated it. He hated it. He was so angry at it. He was so angry at the fact and the reality that sin had caused this much suffering and this much pain in people's lives who he cared about deeply. Now, let's be honest, it almost seems weird that he's that deeply angry, but, but let me put it into context and help us understand why it totally makes sense. So, uh, me and my kids, this was many years ago, So my kids were much younger than this. Uh, We had a day where Laura was working or or gone. And so I took the three kids out to a park, out to Rip Park. We're only a couple of blocks away. And so we drove over to Rip Park and we were getting ready to go play on the playground. And I was over there with the boys and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden I hear Hannah. There 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 was something wrong. And so I turn around and I see my daughter, Hannah. I can't remember how old she was. She was just a few years old. And she was running to me, tears streaming down her face crying just heaving and she was running to me and I and I gathered her in my I kind of got down on the ground I gathered in my arms I'm like sweetie what happened because we just we had literally just gotten out of the car like a minute before and and she said dad something bit me and I looked and I saw that she had been stung maybe more than once on her body and I was like where where in the world did you know these yellow jackets come from and so I went over to where she had sat down to tie her shoes and I looked underneath the bench and underneath the bench was this big cluster of uh, a nest for yellow jackets. And they were all just, they were like, there were probably about 20 or 30 of them just in there doing their thing and she had sat down on the bench right on top of them and as a result, they, they came around and stung her and, and she, was, she was just really hurting. And you know what I did? I said, kids, back in the car. And I drove home and I grabbed this massive bottle of spray. I kid you not, this is my kids can attest to this. Some of them they remember this. And and I threw them back in the car and I said, we're going okay, we're back over there. And and I said, kids stay in the car, because I knew it was about to go down. And I went over there, and I I kid you not, it was with a vengeance that I sprayed every one of those. If they flew off, I made sure to hit every one of those in the air. I went searching. I I kid you not, I searched the entire playground to find any others I found, and I killed them too. I took them. It was like, I'm done. You're done. You hurt my daughter. I was ticked. You know why I was angry? Because I didn't like to see my daughter in pain. Jesus does not like to see us in pain. He doesn't like to see us in sin or in addiction or in relationships that are dragging us down or in unbelief. Jesus loves you just like he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he was angry in that moment at sin and the suffering that was happening. Because the truth is, Jesus knows there's no way around pain and suffering in this life. But can I tell you, church, this is really, really, really good news. There is no way around pain and suffering in this world. But let me promise you, let me tell you the good news is that there is always a way through it. And the only way through it is with Jesus walking with you through it. Listen, what happens in the story? At the beginning of the story, Jesus... Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they are victims of Jesus. But by the middle of the story, what does Jesus do? Jesus takes Mary, and he takes Martha. And I I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing maybe he took them hand in hand or arm in arm, and he said, take me to where he is. And so he walks them to their deepest pain, where Lazarus is buried. He takes them to the source of their pain. Church, just side note. Now I'm way off again, but just, this is important. There's never a way around your pain. The only way is through it. Allow Jesus to take your hand and walk you to the source of your pain. Why? Not because he enjoys seeing you hurt, but because if you never deal with it, you'll never heal from it. You'll never heal. You never will. Jesus walks them to the tomb to face their pain. But he doesn't send them by themselves. He walks with them. But you know what we tend to do when we have pain and suffering? We make it about us. Don't we? And do you know what you do when you make it about you? When you make pain and suffering about you, this is what you do. You slap Jesus' hand. Get away from me, Jesus. I don't want your hand. I don't want you to walk me through it. I want to find a way around it. We slap his hand away and then we use those hands that are now free of Jesus' hands to accuse Jesus' heart. That's what we do. We slap away his love and then we use the freedom that we feel we have to accuse his heart and his intentions. In other words, we look at it from this view And we don't care about what view God sees. Now here's the cool thing. How does the story end? Those of you that know this story. You would love for me to read it. I'm not going to read it this morning. But how does it end? It ends the same way the story that we read last week ends. There's a guy in a tomb. The tomb is sealed. But that's not where he stayed. Jesus takes Mary and Martha, he walks them to the tomb of Lazarus, and he says, roll away this tomb, and the people, the the tomb, and people are like, no, 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 it's been four days, that's going to be bad, and he says, roll away the stone, and they roll away the stone, and he calls to Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus walks out, still wrapped in grave clothes, you guys have seen the sci-fi movies, the mummy thing, it probably came from the Bible. Lazarus walks out. He's wrapped in grave clothes and he says, unwrap him. Unwrap the clothes and unwrap the strips of linen. So they unwrap him and he says, let him go. Lazarus is resurrected by Jesus. And the question that I have for you, I'm going to leave you with this question is this. Why did Jesus resurrect Lazarus at the end of this story? Is it because he wanted to play euchre with him that night? The answer is no. No. Is it because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus so much that he wanted to resurrect his good friend? The answer is no. You know why Jesus did it? So that people would believe in him. That's why he did it. I want to prove it to you. I want to take you to the very next chapter, John chapter 12. It's a few days later. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And this is what it says in that moment. John chapter 12, verse 17 through 19. Many in the crowd, remember there's this huge crowd around Jesus. He's riding in on a donkey and they're like, wow. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb a few days before, raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. I'll bet they were. You've seen other things spread like wildfire in Wanakee? Let me tell you, this would happen, right? Right? They were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then listen to what the Pharisees said. I love this. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him, after Jesus. In other words, Jesus did all of that so that people would believe in who he is. Why? Because if we don't believe who he is, then we won't take his hand. We won't accept his love. And if we don't accept his love, if we don't depend on God, then we're going to walk through this life with no hope in our pain and in our suffering and in our loss. There is no hope. But with Jesus, with Jesus, we have all the hope in the world that there is. Jesus wants to be a companion with you in your pain and suffering. He wants to walk with you through it. So the question I'm going to leave you with this this morning is this. Will you depend on God? Even when you want to make it about you, Will you depend on God? Will you trust in Him? Even though it hurts. Mary and Martha, they were going through immense pain and suffering, but Jesus took them in as a companion and walked them to the source of their pain so that they could be free of the pain and suffering not only in this life but in the life after this life. You understand that Jesus not only wants to help you through the pain and suffering on this planet but he wants to lead you to a place where there is no more pain or suffering anymore. I don't know about you but that's going to be an awesome place. Will you trust Jesus to take you there? Will you trust him Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to depend on you. Lord, you know all too well that as human beings, we would love to control We would love for things to be different. We, We don't like needing anyone. But God, today, may we be reminded that you are worthy, that you need to be glorified, that we need you, that we need to depend on you, that we need to trust you. Help us to trust you Jesus. Trust you. Help us to trust that that you have a view that is unlike ours. Help us to trust that you see the entire picture, the big picture when all we can see is maybe the ground level view. Help us to trust you that you are not going to you're not going to necessarily takes around our pain and around our suffering and help us to completely avoid it, but you are going to be with us in it. You will help us walk through it because sin has messed up this world. Help us to trust the fact that you are our Savior, our Messiah, our companion in the midst of the pain and the suffering, the loss. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you. Trust you you I pray this in your name Jesus amen